Now, here we come to the end of the Gospel of Matthew. This is one of our sort of special first Sundays, so we take a break from the Sermon on the Mount, which was at the beginning uh, of, the, of the Gospel. Uh, we're right at the end, the very last words of the Gospel, the very last words that are said uh, in this writing, this piece of writing of Matthew. Uh, and we come to a place where a prearranged spot, clearly, uh, on a mountain in Galilee, uh, not the first time on a mountain, is it? Mountains are quite significant. Uh, in terms of the scriptures. It was on a mountain in Galilee that Jesus revealed how his disciples were to live. That's the Sermon on the Mount. So there's another mountain. And it was on the mountain of transfiguration that Jesus revealed who he truly was to, to those three disciples who witnessed it. Uh, and this mountain reveals Jesus' plan for how his purposes are to be carried on after he's gone. Jesus will soon not be with them from this moment, but I guess nothing really prepares you, does it? He's going, but oh, I'm sure, maybe, maybe not, maybe he's gonna stay a bit longer and oh, please, please don't go, Lord. But he is gonna go. They had lost him as they thought through death on a Roman cross. Now they had him back only to discover that he would again leave them. Can you imagine that? He's gone. He's dead, now he's alive again, now he's going again. What a nightmare to live with. And the risen Christ now sends his followers to do the work for which they've been trained. The very fact that he was stood there, alive and talking, should have been enough motivation. He hardly needed to say anything. Just the sight of a man that was dead and is now risen. Surely that's enough, isn't it? I mean, how many risen people have you seen? Not too many, I guess. And there he was. That man had been in a tomb. That man had had a spear shoved in his side to prove that he truly was dead. He was a dead Jesus. He was put in a tomb and all the rituals were bound around him to make sure that he was dead. But the amazing thing is that Jesus entrusts the future of his church to that bunch of guys who were with him all those years, three years. Why trust them? They'd blown it in the garden. They'd got it wrong so many times. Peter had really gaffed, hadn't he? Oh, I don't know him. And yet Jesus, we read in Luke's gospel, looked straight at Peter. What a look that must have been. A look of restoration. And he entrusts the future of his church, who had few days disappeared into thin air when the going got a bit tough. So the resurrection was key to the start of the early church. It's what Paul went on and on about wherever he went. This Jesus whom you crucified, Peter as well, God raised from the dead. You crucified, God raised. And those disciples would have gone nowhere and done nothing if Jesus had stayed in the tomb. Why? Why bother? It was nice, three years, yeah, we had lots of good things. Let's go back to the fishing and the tax collecting and whatever. But remember what we were celebrating last week, too. The coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Now they'd been given the power to fulfill that great commission that Jesus said at the end of Matthew's Gospel. So the first thing to notice here is that Jesus had authority. 
All authority, he says, has been given to me. No mucking around, not some authority, a little bit of authority, some clout, as we might say today, but no, all authority has been given to me. And his miracles show that, don't they? His power over water, over disease, over death itself. He'd even had God's authority to forgive sins. He had authority. And the people commented on it. He teaches with authority, not as the scribes do. He says things, and they count, and they cut, and they go deep. He has authority. Now, in chapter 10 uh, of Matthew's Gospel, he sends the disciples out on a preaching trip. What does it do? What, in what way? It says, with his authority. The, this was a marvelous training ground for the disciples. They would come back, and they would talk to Jesus about how they'd got on. But not this time. Physically, he wouldn't be there for feedback time. He would be gone. But he gives his followers, us, us, authority to go and do the work of the gospel. And it could not be a greater authority than comes from the risen Son of God. They are given his authority to minister the gospel. Here it is a command, it's a value. It's at the heart of what Jesus wants us to do. It's not just for the keenies. All authority has been given. He gives it to all of his disciples who are gathered there. Uh, and if we go back to the early days of the gospel story, it's quite interesting this, isn't it? We find Andrew hearing the truth. What does he do? Go straight to his brother Peter and say, Oi, Pete, get here. That's a fairly free translation of that verse, but you, you get the drift. Philip follows Jesus and immediately phones a friend, Bartholomew. Bartholomew, you've got to come and hear this. And it's infectious, isn't it? It's, it's got a kind of edge and a, and a vitality about it. I've got it, you must have it. I've got it, you must have it. I've got it, you must have it. Here is the norm that Christ expects. expects. It's just too big to hang on to. Now, I don't know if you've ever had any really good news like, for example, Spurs winning a football match, you know, something like that, you know. And I'm not mentioning a thing. Don't laugh at me, Mike Carson, whatever you do. I know you had a good day yesterday. You know, you, you'd be everywhere, wouldn't you? you say, this has happened, this has happened. What great news, fantastic news. And yet the greatest news of all, that Jesus is alive and well and is operating on this planet now by his Holy Spirit. Well, I'm not sure we should talk about it. What's that about? So if you're new to the idea of gospel truth, well, we just have to learn to talk about it. We just do. Because Jesus told us to, and because it's God's great news. And we know, don't we, most of us here, I'm sure, we know that when God has come into your life and dealt with your problem of sin, so beautifully exemplified here by what we'll do later. He's dealt with that separation from God, that sinfulness that separated us, and he died in our place, and the consequence is a wonderful life of eternity. Let's try, within our limitations, you don't have to be a great theologian. You don't have to know the Bible backwards as well as frontwards. You just have to love Jesus. 
and want to tell people how wonderful he is. That's the secret of it, if it is a secret. But Jesus has saved your life. Perhaps we think we've got to become preachers. Well, maybe some will do that. Praise God if you do. But the real thrust of this is that all aspects of our daily lives, by the way we speak, by the way we live, we are Christ's ambassadors, as Paul says. Now, we speak, therefore, on behalf of the King. And that's all of us. That's how the early church spread. The Lord added daily to their number, Acts 2 tells us. Because they gossiped the gospel. They chatted it. They lived it. Now, don't get me wrong. You may look this morning at me and think, what a perfect, wonderful human being I am. You know, a, a perfect disciple of Jesus Christ who gets it right every single day. Rubbish. But let's, in the limitations of who we are and the networks in which we operate, just begin maybe to pray and think about where we could bring the light of the love of Jesus into a person's life who's in darkness. And be clear of that dichotomy of light and darkness. People are either in light or in darkness. But secondly, not only did he have authority, but he, they knew his presence. I am with you. When he appeared, some of the disciples worshipped him, but some doubted. Was it all too much to take? And there were other times when people didn't recognize him. Mary Magdalene didn't, did she? Two disciples on the road to Emmaus didn't. They walked a long way and they didn't know it was him. When he started teaching, most of the doubts would have evaporated. But his demands were huge. They had never been outside their little country place that they lived in or the town that they lived in. And they were to be the means of reaching the whole world. Go into the world. Now, the world they lived in was dominated by Romans and all the leftovers of the Greek Empire with their gods, the whole pantheon under that Greek banner. Eleven of us against that lot? You must be joking. And I wonder if we look at our world like that. Do we look at the world we live in and say, well, there's this, there's that ism, there's that ology, there's that value system, there's consumerism, there's this, there's that, there's war going on, there's everything. Yep. Yep. But there's a gospel that makes a difference in people's lives. What are you sat here for this morning if that isn't true? That the good news of Jesus impacted you. And 11 of us against that lot, they must have felt, and you probably feel, well, Dave, you don't know how hard it is in my place of work or where I live in my area. You don't understand. Well, maybe I don't. Sorry if I don't. But there may just be someone, someone who you rub shoulders with on a daily basis, someone who you, you talk to regularly, maybe one of your family, maybe that person that's over that bit of wood called a fence. Maybe there's somebody there and Jesus said, I will be with you. We don't do this alone. We don't go out into this world alone. He says, I will be with you, whether it's geographically, all nations, whether it's time to the ends of the earth, 
that's why both of those bits are there. <clears throat> so we're not limited by geography, we're not limited by time. Geography, all nations, time to the ends of the age. I will always be there, he says. I don't know if you're, you're facing issues in your life, upheaval, change. This word comes to you. I am with you to the end of time. The principle is clear. When God commands, he gives power. So often we think it's impossible. And we think God's gone AWOL. He's shut me out here. He expects me to talk to these people. Well, he, he hasn't. He's right there. And God commands us to make disciples. The risen Christ stands in our midst and says, follow me. And perhaps someone here for the first time, he's saying that to right now. Come, follow me. But we want to tell those who are serious about it. And they want to be baptized and to demonstrate the world that they're taking this seriously. You see, this is not about converts. This is not about a quick fix conversion. Conversion is brilliant. Born again, you must be born again. Yes. But then there's a whole process. And I'm not sure we're as good at that process of discipling as we are at getting people to come and join us. It's not just about getting someone to come to church. It's not just this one snappy conversation that we have. It's about an ongoing battle sometimes with someone who perhaps resists, gives you grief, but we keep going because we want to see them become disciples. Now, a disciple is one who is disciplined. Same word, root. Disciples, disciples are disciplined. We are part of something that's ongoing, and it's about the whole of life. And friends, I think we need to perhaps rethink the, sometimes what we think of as the church, as a place of coziness, a castle with the drawbridge up, whatever the image you want to take. And perhaps start thinking of it as a mission station, a place that reaches. And we try, with God's help and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, to be, have these words ringing on our lips. I've met Jesus. I just have to tell you about him. He's alive. He's real. You can know him. I want to tell you about him. So you can commit your life to him. So the resurrection released his followers. This great commission was Jesus saying, go into all the world to make disciples. I am with you. You have my authority to go and do this. They went into that world under his authority and with his power. Shall we, with God's help, seek to do the same wherever God leads us? Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. Father, if this all seems daunting and threatening and difficult to do, 
I pray that you'll help us to realize that it is by ourselves and in our own strength it's not working that way. So teach us that with the power of the Holy Spirit, if we put what Jesus has taught us today together with Pentecost, we have the task defined and the power to do it with. So please do that for us, we pray. Take us into this needy world, this world which so needs Jesus, and help us with his help to do it in a way that honors you and grows your kingdom. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.